Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. The second reading today is from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19a. Very important. Uh... Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a stairway set upon the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. The word of the Lord. Well, for those of you in our midst, there still are a few of us who were born prior to the 1980s. That was a time full of these epic dance movies, like Flashdance and White Nights and Dirty Dancing. My sister and I would beg to see those movies, but even though I was alive in the 80s, I wasn't that old back then. So she would edit the movies for us. She'd sit with the VCR, and she'd record the movie, and then she'd pause it and resume recording after whatever sketchy scene was taking place. Content that wasn't appropriate for us as kids. I think I was in college before I had any idea what was going on with Penny and Dirty Dancing. Like, I was just, she had a stomachache, I don't know what her deal was, but, but boy, did we know all of those dances, right? And you don't get those kind of mom edits when you go to Sunday school as a kid. At least I didn't. You show up there, they hand you this Bible, and there are some kind of crazy stories in it. Wild stories, fantastical stories, like tent stakes through a temple, people turning into pillars of salt, sitting on the edge of your seat wondering, is Abraham really going to sacrifice Isaac? You have people living to be 900 years old. There are talking donkeys and very trippy visions. And today we have Jacob's story. 
And the lectionary folks, they did their own mom edit with Jacob's story. They don't include the chapter earlier where Jacob and his mom end up tricking his ailing father into blessing him instead of his brother Esau. She has him go and skin a goat, then he puts the goat skin on his arms to try to, and the back of his neck to try to trick his dad, who can't see very well, into blessing him. And if you remember, Jacob already tricked Esau earlier out of his birthright for a bowl of stew earlier in Genesis. So Esau is understandably furious, and he sets out to kill his brother. This is the stuff of soap operas. And here's where our story picks up this morning. Jacob is fleeing to his uncle's house, retracing his grandfather Abraham's steps back to the land of Haran in Mesopotamia. And his mother Rebecca, the person who helped him plan the scheme to get Esau's rightful blessing, warns Jacob that Esau is only consoling himself right now because he's planning to kill his brother. So she implores Jacob to flee Esau's anger. Jacob does as, he, as she asks, and he leaves, finding a place to sleep on his journey. And in this liminal space, this vulnerable space, when he's on the run, between a dangerous home and an unknown destination, Jacob dreams. And as he dreams, there's a ladder, or a stairway to heaven, also if you're of a certain age, stairway to heaven, with angels moving all along it, taking on the business of heaven so to speak. And interestingly, God speaks close by Jacob. So he comes and he's right near Jacob as the flurry of heavenly work is taking place separately from them. God's promise residing separately from the hustle, from the life of striving that Jacob is coming out of. So Jacob, you know, he's a bit of a shady character, both before and after this encounter. But I don't want this to fall into some kind of referendum on the morality of Jacob's actions, because for me at least, this is a story about who God is, even when we're not at our best. Jacob's in, his tough, in a really tough spot, in part by his own hand, but also by a tradition that leaves him little, by a name, his name meaning heel grabber or usurper, that name that had already labeled him that way from birth. And, and yet God shows up with a promise, with a blessing. He probably doesn't deserve it, but he gets it. He doesn't expect it, and yet God shows up. Here we find Jacob encountering the God of his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. And in fact, the promise that God gives is similar to Genesis 12, 1 through 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And Abraham, I mean, his story is also pretty sketchy. His own life choices recorded in Scripture are a little bit dubious at times. But perhaps they're very real character, they're very real human characteristics, and their actions reveal again to us that God can be counted on to be God whether we are courageous or lacking in faith, whether we are kind or cruel with our actions, whether we are consistent or flighty with our follow-through. The Lord goes on to offer even more to Jacob than he does to Abraham. For God says, I am with you, 
and will keep you wherever you go, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Reverend Catherine Matthew writes, we hear in God's promise something new, something more. For God promises to be with Jacob wherever he goes, not just in the land of promise. In those days, gods were often associated with a specific place or land. But this God of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Rebekah, and of Jacob himself will not be limited to one time and one place. It must have given Jacob great comfort in that strange liminal space to hear God promise to be with him always and to bring him back to the land that he promised him. So Jacob wakes up and says, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. Within Jacob's dream, he experiences firsthand his own experience. This God whom his father and his grandfather knew. So what had been this kind of abstract concept perhaps to him, the product of a tradition that's handed down from one generation to the next, it becomes real and tangible to Jacob. And in that liminal space of sleep and waking, of safety and running for his life, he sets a stone and he pours oil on it, a ritual that he had witnessed in the past, naming the place where he met God in this profound way. Where have we placed our own stones of remembrance in our stories? Now, lest we think that this interaction radically changes Jacob's entire nature, the verses that follow in chapter 28 are also left out of our lectionary passage, another mom edit, I think, um, which is why it's, it ends with A, like Enoch noted. He's like, oh, we're stopping right there on A. Here, Jacob adds conditions. So God does this awesome, big, sweeping promise. And Jacob says, um, I'll follow you, God, but you got to give me bread and clothes. So Jacob has his own rider or set of demands because his worldview is of conditional love, transactional love. After all, he just tricked his father out of giving him the only familial blessing that exists. Because when Esau goes back to his dad and is like, I can't believe what just happened. Jacob tricked you. He's like, give me a blessing. Isaac's like, I'm sorry, I am full out. So Jacob con continues his crafty ways a bit in the future, be and, but while he's not this entirely new person, James Newsom writes, neither was he the same old Jacob. And can't the same be said of us after we feel that our lives have been transformed by grace? And we'll see in future chapters that bargaining and wrestling is not over for Jacob. But spoiler alert, he returns 20 years later to that same spot with his family and his livestock, and he acknowledges God's faithfulness in that journey. And again, as complicated as Jacob is, the promises of God remain the same. Again, as we, throughout, we see throughout Scripture, God engages with very ordinary people, welcoming us into relationship with Creator God the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Tamar and Ruth and Naomi, the God of Paul and Peter and John is the same God who promises us presence and blessing. And not blessing in the sense of like hashtag blessed, like you're going to see on social media. Kate Bowler describes in her book the lives we actually have that often in American culture and certainly within social media, 
we curate this very particular definition of what hashtag blessed is the label, would be for the label that we create for all of our good fortune, right? It ends up sometimes becoming a cliche that melds the idea that God is good, which is gratitude, which is good, right? But it also somehow ends up with this tinge of, aren't we just so lucky and kind of awesome to get such good stuff from God? If you're bored, you can always look up on your Insta, hashtag blessed as a tag, and see. I warn you, there's a lot, it gets a little cheesy, right? So if it's not that, how do we use this language of blessing? What is blessing, what, how could blessing look like in a different way? Bowler writes, the act of blessing is this strange and vital work of noticing what is true about God and about ourselves. And sometimes what's true is not wonderful. But still, in the naming, we can say that God, that perhaps God is here in the midst of struggle, of loneliness, of grief, of complicated family systems and imperfect people. Blessing in the sense of noticing God and naming our place within God's goodness. The God who promised blessing over Jacob, that is the God that we experience. The God of Katie, the God of Josh, the God of Hannah, the God of Enoch. Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The Lord's mercy never comes to an end. It is new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness to us. If we can hold these ideas from Scripture to be true, how do we then notice and name the moments where we find God? Well, we notice in our individual ways. And sometimes that can be as simple or as difficult as leaving space for the unexpected. This, depending on your personality and approach to life, may prove difficult. For some of us, for sure me, but I'm sure some others in this room, it requires us to be intentional, which I know seems counterintuitive. But when you're hardwired to plan everything out and know exactly what's happening, sometimes you have to plan for the unexpected. Or at least... For me, insofar as I begin my day with the briefest of prayers, God, help me notice you in whatever today brings. And when I do that, I, I find myself unclenching my hands a little bit with the list that's in my head that I'm holding, if even for a moment. And I speak a word of blessing over Freya as she gets out of the car for school. Again, brief and short, and I say, be curious and kind today. And in doing so, I remind myself to do those same things. Because curiosity and remaining open to the work of the Holy Spirit around us is holy work indeed. But we also name in our collective gathering the places where God has met us and in how our narratives weave together the threads of one another. Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor says this passage helps her to think about how all over this beautiful and terrible world, there are patches of ordinary earth with ladder marks on it. When Jacob placed the stone and named it Bethel, it wasn't the small pebble, right? Like the cute little ones you stack up when you go up to Lake Superior. It would have been larger because he returns to that same spot, gathering again to name that God had done what God had promised. And what is a space 
like our chapel this morning on any given Sunday gathering, but a location for us to come again, to talk about what God has done, for connection with the divine, for connection with one another. We can marvel at the mystery of the God who draws near in Jesus, and we can talk about how our lives are enlivened through the Holy Spirit. While we know that God is found in and through all things, Dr. Terry Fretheim writes of our need to create places of worship because we're, as human beings, shaped by place as well as time. Thinking back to Jacob and the thousands of other ancestors who wandered, who were led, who were taken in exile, who went on pilgrimage, we find his words inspiring for us too, their descendants in faith, because the rhythms of the ancestors include the rhythm of journey and worship. There are journeys punctuated by moments of worship in very specific spaces. The place is not the final objective where we just settle in forever, but it provides us sustenance for the ongoing journey. I've often likened what I do as a pastor to tending a tavern of sorts. In a border town, outside of the city where I used to reside, that city that was full of certainty and security and a whole lot of rules. And at this tavern that I tend, there are long wooden tables and comfy chairs, hearty stew and crusty bread and a cold tankard of whatever you're thirsty for. A fireplace crackles in the corner and light dances on the wall from the multicolored glass in the windows. And as we gather with those who arrive in the tavern on any given day, having made the trek to revisit this place where we have experienced God's goodness and presence, and as the high women say, the door is always open, your picture is on my wall, everyone's a little broken, and everyone belongs. So we gather around that table, we share the stories that shape us, and we tell again the good news of Jesus. We bear our weariness together, and we celebrate our belovedness. At our little tavern, we break bread and we mend for a bit before heading out the door on our own journeys to explore the wildness of creation, to sprinkle kindness, to bind up the wounded, and to work tirelessly for the liberation of all of us until we find ourselves again in that little tavern, sharing again the ancient stories and the sustenance of the table. So imagine yourself sitting at that long wooden table, tired from your journey, recalling those stories and sharing your own. What are the stories that you have of meeting God in unexpected places? Where are the thin places in your own life where the veil between this world and the next feels papery and iridescent? Where have you taken a stone and set it as a marker for a new beginning. Perhaps you feel too tender or barren to consider where or if you've noticed God in your midst. And there are seasons where God feels silent and distant. But it's also important for us to name those as well. It's not a problem to fix. But because even in the naming of distance with our Creator, there can be hope. Hope that once again we will experience 
connection with our creator and sustainer God. So let me offer an invitation this week. An invitation to consider our own journeys, the rocky paths, the smooth ones, the overgrown thickets, and the lush green grasses that we've traversed. As Reverend Valerie Bridgman writes, are there dreams or encounters or signs along the way that need to be renamed as the gate of heaven or the house of God? In other words, places or experiences that point to God's intention for our lives corporately and individually. I'd like to pray a blessing over us this week as we move into silence and prepare to gather at the Eucharist table here. And this blessing comes from another of Kate Bowler's books. This one is entitled, Good Enough. Blessed are we who recognize that spark, that glimmer of transcendence that feels otherworldly, like points of light that converge to reveal a reality we can scarcely believe yet somehow we remember in the depths of our souls. The sunrise that no picture can capture, the moment of clarity we can't exactly describe, the quality time with a friend that we can't duplicate. It is magic infused with delight and goodness and beauty and joy, and we know that it was you, O oh God. Blessed are we, more alive to the desire that has been awakened, and our desire becomes longing, and our longing faith, faith in the certainty of things unseen. Blessed are we who stand here on this bedrock, glad to gaze toward what light remains even now, with grateful hearts. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.